0: God is good, isn't he? Amen. Well, happy Passover to anybody who is aware that this is Passover season right now. It just started yesterday, so happy Passover, and Jesus is that Passover lamb. Amen? I want to get right into his word. Who's ready to hear some word? I want you to look with me in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we've been talking in this season, this whole winter, really, as soon as we entered 21, the Lord's really been, um, he's a good father. Everybody say he's a good father. He's good, isn't he? You know the best father disciplines their children. So God's been on like a disciplining spree for three months. Who's noticed that in your own personal lives? And so we're going to keep going. I feel like the Lord's not done. I want you to say that out loud. The Lord's not done. And he does it because he's kind and he's merciful, and he does it because he knows what's best for us. And the reason the stop sign exists and the stoplight exists, right, the reason that we have law and order is not to control anyone but to protect us. At least that was its intent. Amen. And the reason that God molds us and shapes us and disciplines us into his fashion and form is because It's best for us. He knows, okay, fine. You want to roll that stop sign. You can do that, but you are risking not only your life, but someone else's. That's the purpose. So it's good. Everybody say it's good. And so Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. I'm reading out of the NLT. Because you are his dear children. I want you to say it out loud. I'm his child. And the word says, because I'm his child, it tells me to imitate him. Verse 10, it says, carefully, everybody say carefully, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, instead expose them. So be careful, verse 15 says, how you live, don't live like fools. Everybody say fool. But like those who are wise, everybody say wise. All right, so we're not going to live like the fool, we're going to live like the wise. It says, verse 16, make the most of every opportunity in these days. Verse 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Amen. And I just skimmed through some of those verses. I didn't read the whole thing because I have a lot of verses here, and we'll just see what the Holy Spirit gets to today. I'm going to try to get to all of them. Wouldn't that be something? I've actually got through all of my scriptures on a Sunday morning. But that's my intent, so I'm going to try to not talk as much. But Ephesians 5, just very quickly tells us to imitate him. It tells us, because we're his children, it tells us to determine what pleases him carefully. It tells us to take no part in the evil of the world, but instead expose it. And it tells us, again, to be careful. It tells us not to be fools, but to be wise. It tells us to make the most of every opportunity. And then finally, it says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. As if the rest of God's word... Wasn't like this, Ephesians 5 is, but his whole word is like this. When God tells us something, he tells it to us five times, ten times, fifty times, a hundred times, because that's how we need to hear it. So we actually get it. You hear it once, whatever. Right? Your kids say, What'd you say? What? Their first word, Elijah just said it to me the other day. He goes, I don't know why I say what, because I heard what you said. It's just instinct. What? So God's like, Okay, fine, I'm gonna tell you five times. To be serious about this, to be careful, evil and darkness is going to try to get you, but you must be careful to be wise and not like a fool. Amen. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 25, I just want to read you a parable. I told you Matthew 25, it really has been hitting me again recently. In Matthew chapter 25, I just want to read this parable, and I want to springboard and ask some questions. Matthew 25 verse 1 says, Then the kingdom of heaven, verse 1, right? Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. There's that key word again. And five of them were wise. Everybody say foolish and wise. All right, so we can sandwich together Matthew 25 and Ephesians 5. It's the same word, different writers here, but same gospel, same kingdom. They're talking about the same concept here, that you could be a fool in this world. You can actually be a foolish Christian. Do you know that? It's not just the world or the fools and the Christians are wise. You're not automatically wise. You must give yourself to the Lord for wisdom to come. Wisdom does not come naturally. The Holy Spirit instantaneously, I'm going to get into it in a minute, But instantaneously, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, we don't receive a junior Holy Spirit. We receive His fullness. But our human brain and our human condition and our strong-willed flesh, like that unwielded horse, right, that we talked about some weeks ago, is so strong-willed, and our frequency, like a radio dial, is so tuned to the world that it takes time to get to our spirit man, so that we finally understand wisdom that was technically instant. Amen. Does that make sense? (laughs) I know that's a whole bunch. So here we are, Matthew 25, and it says, there were five wise and five foolish, and it says, verse 3, the five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take extra oil oil along, or your translation might just say that they didn't take any, they had enough in their lamp. Depending on your translation, the point is that one group had enough to last them longer than maybe they even thought they needed, and the other group didn't take the time or didn't care enough to even think about it. They just had a lamp. I've got a lamp. You've got a lamp. We've all got lamps, and didn't actually think about what that meant. So it says, when the bridegroom, verse 5, was delayed, They all became drowsy and fell asleep. And this is actually an indication that the fact is that no one knows the day or the hour of Christ's return. But there is a people, when he does return, that even though we don't know the day or the hour, that we're ready for the day and the hour. Amen. And then there's a people that's not ready, even though they're in the same category of not knowing the day or the hour. They don't care, or they'll get to it. And the Bible says... At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. And it says in verse 8, Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to buy oil. The bridegroom It says, go to buy oil. I'm sorry, wow. Verse 9, but the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. Verse 10, but while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Who knows who the bridegroom is? Someone say it out loud. It's Jesus, right? So Jesus came, just as he promised he would. And then those who were ready, everybody say ready. So there's a group that was ready, so we know now the story is defining itself. We don't need to, sometimes the parables, we have all these long theologies of what they are, but many times right on the surface is, a, is an explanation, and we know at least this, that the Bible tells us here in verse 10 that those without oil were those that, who were not ready. Everybody said they weren't ready. So it says that then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked, too late, locked, finished. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. Open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch For you do not know the day or hour of my return. I'm not going to talk today about the return of Christ. I want to talk about being ready always. Being ready and being serious always. That we are on this earth for a very tiny blip of time. James calls it a wisp of air, a vapor, you know, just passing. It's so quick. It passes away. You can barely even acknowledge that it was. In fact, if you take a speck and you put it in front of your face and you begin to just keep stepping back, eventually it actually will disappear. Eventually, if you get far enough away from this life into eternity, this life itself will be non-existent. It will be so far away into eternity as if eternity is time, but it's not. But as if it were time, it will become so small and so insignificant. And yet, this little sliver of nothingness is everything. This little sliver of time that we are here on the earth, this vapor, it dictates and determines our outcome for eternity. That means it's a very serious thing, isn't it? And something to not be taken lightly. And the Bible says here that there were two groups of people. It did not say that one group was evil, and one group was righteous. It did not say that one group believed, and the other group did not believe. It says that there was a group of people that were ready and looking for him. They were serious about Jesus and his return, and there was a group that was nonchalant. They were easygoing about it. They kind of just Came and went as they pleased, didn't really take the seriousness. Like, we, I don't have time to go re- redo last week's sermon. You can listen to the podcast. But also in 25, with the talents, they didn't respect what God had given them. Even the oxygen in our lungs is a gift from God. And we are on loan. You are borrowing his air to breathe right now. And you have been given this incredible ability to use it for whatever you want. God will let you use his oxygen to even curse him. You can take his oxygen on loan and use that breath to actually curse God. And he doesn't strike everyone down instantly with lightning because of grace. Isn't that an incredible God? Isn't it unbelievable? Who has ever in time of your life, maybe you didn't say a curse curse to God, but you pointed your finger at God, which is the same thing, by the way. Just made it a little bit easier for us to understand And to kind of soothe ourselves. But you pointed your finger at God. And isn't it amazing that he gave us grace? God is so big. He's so powerful. He's so mighty. But God's ways are God's ways. I can't. I'm like a broken record. His way is his way. And I must say that. It must be told I cannot be a pastor. I will not have blood on my hands. And it may not be anybody in this room. Maybe it's someone in the podcast. But I cannot go to my father and have blood on my hands, and then him tell me, You preached part of my gospel, and you preached the parts that were easy to preach, and you preached my love and grace and mercy, and those were all true, but you didn't give them the whole gospel. You told them about my love, and you told them about my grace, you told them about my blessings, but you did not tell them that I'm also God, and I also sit on a throne. And that the angels surround my throne and worship me 24 hours a day for all of eternity because that's how holy I am. You didn't tell them that if they break my commands, and just because Christ has come and given us his blood doesn't mean the command went away. It means that we have grace so that we can, he gives us time, he gives us uh, understanding, he gives us the Holy Spirit. Technically, that's really what it did. It broke open that entrance for the Holy Spirit to come in and tug on your heart and say, don't do that, do this, don't do that, and all of us know it. And I've even talked to you before, and you, and you and you know in your heart, if you want to be brutally honest, that you have experienced this. And I've I've talked to people that have come and gone into the kingdom of God, and they will tell you, when I got saved, the very first time that I... Now, suddenly, the same sins that I was okay with, I started feeling a tug in my heart to not do that any longer. And what happens? Either one of two things. It's very simple. The gospel is for children, remember. It's not a complicated gospel. It's a simple, simple, simple gospel. But you either responded to the Holy Spirit and said, Yes, Lord, or you said no. Eventually, the Bible calls that a hardness of heart. So now, just because you made a confession of your mouth, and you made a, you know, a testimony of your faith, you ha- don't have any fruit in your life because you have not listened to the Lord's grace and mercy and his blood and even the, the Holy Spirit himself who, is, who literally has said, I will take up residence inside you, but you said, you're not welcome in my heart. Maybe you didn't say those words, but when you said, I'm going to do it my way instead of yours, eventually the Holy Spirit's like, there's no room in here for me. I want to live here, but you've got this heart filled up with so much other stuff. I don't have any room, and maybe it's time that I part ways with you. I don't know when that day is. I pray that never comes for anybody who has confessed, I want to know you, Lord, but I would not dance around and play with God's grace as if it were that light and easy. Because when I read his word, both Old Testament and New, and we've been looking at some of those hard moments. We looked at uh, Nadab and Abihu went into the temple. You know, fast forward, we've got post-Christ, post the Holy Spirit, post, you know, we're, we're well into the New Testament now. Jesus has gone to heaven. He's, the Holy Spirit's with them. And Ananias and Sapphira experienced the same exact experience They treated God lightly. They didn't think it was a big deal. And they died on the spot. Just because you've gotten away with pointing your finger at God and not dealing with bitterness in your heart does not mean that God approves of it. And what the Lord is after right now, it's for our good. He's not doing it because he's harsh and because he's hard. It's because he loves us so... Imagine you saw your child doing drugs... And you're like, I love them so much, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Is that what you would do as a parent? You'd say, I love you so much that if I have to, I will rip it from your hands and smash it in front of you. And I could care less if you get offended at me. That's how much God loves us. And and that's in a, I'm using human terms. We're talking God of gods, Lord of lords. I mean, King of kings and in his wisdom. Amen. So the question is, not who wants to be saved or not, but who wants to take that salvation that we've been given seriously and wants to please God? Maybe there is someone in this room that says, I want to know Jesus. I want to get saved. I don't know where your heart is. Maybe you haven't done that, so today's your day. But I think a lot of the church, we need to to stop preaching that people get saved. We need to start preaching that people live saved. That's the problem. The whole service now is all based about people getting saved, which is amazing. I'm not disregarding that, and I'm not discounting that. You need to be very careful to hear me clearly. That was the most moment of your life, but it was a spark. That'd be like my wife and I, all we ever do is just talk about our wedding day. Eventually, you know, my children are like, okay, Dad, you've got to go to work because I'm hungry. I just love, just, I can't, I don't have time for that because I just wanted to talk about my wedding day. It was so amazing. Yes, it was. And I remember it every day when I look at my ring on my finger. But that was a spark. That was a beginning to an entire life that God had for me. That wasn't the life. that was, But at the same time, so that we don't discount God and his blood and Jesus' sacrifice, without that moment, nothing else exists. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not getting rid of it or discounting it. But that was a, a starting point, a springboard for your life in this earth. And we've trained the whole church. The whole church system is to, you don't even witness to people anymore. Now you try to get them to your church so your pastor gets them saved. So now every sermon is just about coming to Christ and getting saved. And nobody ever grows up. No one ever changes. And it's no wonder your friends and family don't want to really go because they don't see the change in your life. Why would they? You're like, but I got saved. You need to get saved because you're going to go to hell. They don't have an understanding of that, but what, they'll, what they will see is they see a changed life. When they see that, we're not supposed to save people because of the fear of hell. If that's what it takes, I've said before many times, if that's what it takes to get someone saved, that's the last resort. I will scare you about hell if that's what I have to do, but that's not what he wants. I don't want my kids to be like, if you don't come home by 10, you're grounded. I want them to respect me and know that I love them first. Finally, I'll say that. But at first, I just want to say, be on by 10. Now, if they keep disrespecting me, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to be harsher with them. But not, again, because I don't like them. God's love, the Bible says, nothing can separate us. Even life and death cannot separate us from his love. This is not about his love, and it's not about your acceptance to him. This is about how serious it is. Listen, the devil takes no breaks. Every, I'm talking 24 hours Every second of every day, he is trying to get into your heart. He's trying to find a foothold back into your life to drag you back to hell. Because that's where you were headed before Jesus. Every single day, he takes no breaks. And if we take a break... Listen, thank God the Bible says in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit is pleading for us. And we've been talking, I've been reminding you week after week that Jesus, the Bible says, sits at the right hand of God and also pleads for us. Thank God for that. But eventually, I don't know how it all works. I just know we have grace. And I know that there is hell on this side and heaven on this side and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are in between. But there's also this character, Satan, in between that is trying to pull us ruthlessly. And if you don't understand Satan, just think about all the moments in your life that went wrong. All those times you went the wrong way. That's all you need. You, know what? you don't need to worry about any other thing about him. Just know that that was his plan To destroy your life, to pull you down. We don't need to obsess over him. We're not going to talk anymore even about him today, but I want you to know this. He doesn't take a break. We cannot afford to take a break. We must be serious about this thing. Sometimes you read, we glossed over parts of the Bible. It's easy to do, especially as a Christian. The more you know God, the more you read his word, what happens is two things. Revelations get greater. A second thing actually happens simultaneously. You end up knowing the word so well that you end up glossing over things. I know that. I know that. I know that. We, we, I, I know those verses. We just we speed read the verses we know and then we kind of take the time of the ones. Oh, yeah, I never saw that. I mean, that's fine in your studies. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But at the same time, it also can be dangerous because I've asked the Lord many times, how can somebody who has risen up so high and served you so well, how can they fall so far? And I believe the Lord has revealed it many times in many ways to me. It's because they started thinking, I've got it, I know it, I don't need the Word anymore, I know the Word. I am the Word. The Word's in me, I'm in the Word, which is a truth. But what happened is, they became so comfortable with it in their own knowledge that they forgot the seriousness of it. And sometimes we can even read these stories, we're like, oh, pastor, you're wrong, Matthew 20, that's just about the Lord's return, that's just about... The world not being ready, and Christians are going to be raptured. Uh, Hold on, pause button. Let's just take your theology and put it on a shelf for a minute, and let's just look at the Word for what the Word says. I know it's hard to separate theology sometimes from the Bible. Isn't that funny to say? But what does the Word say? The Word says very clearly that there was a group of people that weren't ready, but they were all aware. This entire group of people was aware. That's what they were there to do. It looks to me like this is a group of people that have at least attempted to follow God. I don't want to say they were born again, Holy Spirit-filled Christians. I don't know because the scriptures don't say that part. But it at least looks like a group of people, like the church of the world, there are those that call themselves Christians, and there are those that are real Christians. I know that that's hard for our human mind to understand, but not everyone that says, I'm a Christian, is a Christian. Words are cheap. I can say I love you, but if I don't really show my love, eventually Dawn's going to say, you don't love me. You say it, but you don't. It doesn't matter. You could say it all day, every day. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. But it's the person who puts their action to the belief. That's real belief. I've said it before. You can say, I'm not afraid of gravity. I'm not afraid of heights until the airplane door opens, and uh, they say, you know, we haven't really checked your parachute, so, you know, hopefully it works. At that point, it doesn't matter what you've said, because your words now are going to have some action. And your, your, your actions now are going to prove the real you, the real heart, the real person. Amen. How are we doing today, everyone? God is good, isn't he? He's always good. Say he's always good. I think I need to hear it so you believe me. All of us have been given abilities, things that God has given us, and it's for a very short time, and we can choose how to use them, to use them for him. We know that nothing in this earth satisfies, only God can satisfy, but really, it's not just that God is the only thing. We say there's a God-shaped hole in you and only God can fill it. That's only part of it. You're not going to really be fulfilled, to be honest, and this is why I think people they struggle and this is why they get saved they get Jesus and then they try to dabble with other things in Christianity quote unquote because they're just confused but you're not really going to be satisfied until it's not just filling that god-shaped hole with God but it's letting God do what he came into that hole to do and ultimately for him to come out of you You're going to feel uncomfortable Who has eaten at a buffet, and then, you know, you can't use the bathroom? I hate to be blunt, but, you know, you're going to feel uncomfortable because that's not how your body was designed. It's going to make you feel like you have a stomachache. So sometimes people get saved, and they're like, I thought things were going to get better, and I don't know what I'm missing. And it's because you're not letting God... You're not taking it seriously what he's done, what he came in to do. And until you let God work and work out of you, you were never, ever going to be fulfilled. You're going to dance around and, and come and you're going to do this and do that. And you're like, well, I'm a Christian and everybody's, everybody's a Christian today. Did you notice that? Every rapper is a Christian. Every sports player is a Christian. I just, I don't want to say his name, but I, this one I had hope for. He said he was a Christian. He's a well-known uh, actor. He had a, he even hosted a TV show. You can figure it out on your own. But then um, somebody posted a video of him that wasn't like on camera where it was rehearsed. And he was like effing something. And I'm like, what? I was like, oh, it's like a knife to my heart because I was like, that's a guy that I was excited. Well, you know, he says he's a Christian. I'm not saying, listen, if the Lord says to him, you're allowed to say the F word, that's okay with me. That's between him and the Lord. That's, that's between them. But doesn't sound right or feel right to me when I hear him say it as a believer. Does it feel right to you in here? Does that sound okay? And so the, the thing is that we must be serious about this. We must be serious about this thing called Christianity. I was doing some meditating And there was a time, come on, all you can testify, the older ones, and I'm 38, so I've been in the church for 38 years. So I may be younger than some of you, but literally born and raised in this thing. So after 38 years, I can tell you this, that today we have pacified churches. Uh, In some places in our nation, literally, this is true, we have to give TVs away to get people to come to church. I'm not joking. They literally have TV giveaways. We've looked it up to get people to come to church, and then when they get there, almost nothing is required of them. There was a day where the church leadership, they would literally sit down, and this was their conversations. How can we get our congregation to do things in the church? How can we engage the people to serve the church and serve the people as part of their growth and fulfillment as Christians? That used to be church leadership conversations. Today church leadership has to convince their Christian congregation just to be Christians. Am I wrong? Who can say from the old times to the new to the modern times? Who can testify? They say things like I'm trying, I'm doing the best I can, I'm a Christian too, everyone's a Christian. But actually they've put little to no effort into reading his word, church is not their identity, it's a place to visit. Is that person really trying or doing the best they can? Sin is acceptable because it's just "quote unquote" who they are. That's going to be your new one. Accept me for who I am. Yes, Jesus does love. It doesn't. You can come as the slimiest of slime because, like Paul said, I'll. You know what? I'm going to link arms with Paul. I'm the lowest of the low. Paul said of himself, "You know what? I'm I'm scum of the earth, low of low." I'm using my own words, but, and I'll link arms with him. So it doesn't matter how you come. You can come to Christ as the lowest of low and the slimiest of slimiest. He's not rejecting you because of your sin, but you cannot come into the most holy of holies because that's really what this place has become. No, we don't even, because we don't, you know what it is? It's not people's fault, and it's really going to be the leaders. That's why I'm being so serious about this because the Bible says, if I don't teach you right, and you'd be like, I don't need the teaching. Okay, that's, that's fine. I'm not saying anybody's saying that, but you don't need it. That's between you and the Lord. But the Bible says to me that if I don't teach you right, it's, I'd be better off taking a rock, tying it around my ankle, and go jump in the Hudson River right now. Because if the Lord gets to me, it's going to be a lot worse. And he says, "Don't." A lot of you should not desire to become a teacher. Don't desire to do it. Because I'm going to judge you very, very harshly. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy for you. I'm not going to let you get away with stuff. And you've got a lot of people that are responsible for your words. So I'm asking for just a little bit of grace. I believe you guys are, but I'm gonna, I have to just say it anyway. Give me some grace to bring this, because it's hard for me to, to say this too. And I also know the Lord's dealing with me. I told you that. The last couple of weeks, the Lord really was just like, I said, okay, Lord, I, I don't even know. I didn't, I didn't even feel far from him, but just to be proactive, like I said, like going to the doctor like a checkup. Let's go through this stuff. Let's just go through this heart. And you know what, once you start going through it, you're like, well, you're at the doctor and you're like, nothing's wrong with me, right? All guys do this, I'm fine. Well, I guess there has been a pain in my knee. Well, I guess technically it was my hip too. All right, well, yeah, actually I didn't feel well. My back was off, I didn't sleep, I haven't been sleeping great, right? Who's who's ever experienced that before? We're all fine until we start really going through the list like you're a mess we need to deal with some things and that's where i've been out with the lord and that's a good thing because it's a good thing because god cares about us that much and the problem is that we've entered a time where you can literally be anybody you want you can be anybody in anything literally it's getting weirder and weirder The latest update I heard was now that there are, it was like 78 or 80, probably my kids can tell me better than me, um, sexes, not two, not male and female, there's like 80 now. I don't know how that's possible, but apparently it's 80. You can just be anything you want. In fact, you can define, who's ever heard this? Let's just define Jesus any way we want. I love Jesus, I just don't like the Bible. Who's ever heard that? Like, what Jesus do you love? What Jesus is it, then? I love Jesus, I just don't like Paul. Who's ever heard that? I've heard that before. Had a guy literally tell me that. I love Jesus, I love the Gospels, but Paul is just off. So I'm just going to choose. He was a pothead. What a surprise, because why not? I'll just define my relationship with God in any way, shape, or form I want. I I mean, you start... The reason that we have order is, again, you can say, Dad, you're restricting me. I want to go out. Or you can, you can say, Dad, I realize that you love me because you've protected me and put a house, put a shelter around me. You've put, a, you've put a roof over my head, and you've given me food to eat, and you've given me everything I need, and it's to protect me and to love me. You can look at it either way, but it's the same picture, but from a different perspective. Amen. I want to say this, this needs to be said today, some people take more convincing than others to become a Christian, but I want to say this, that even though it was a choice you made, it was actually on a much deeper level than your intellect, and in fact, it was our humility that finally accepted Jesus in our lives. Coming to Jesus was nothing less than supernatural, everybody say it was supernatural, Even though you made a choice, I want to be very, very clear now, okay? So I don't want to start with this little, with my disclosure, then you forget it. It's got to be like midway or towards the end so that you remember my disclosure. Coming to Jesus was nothing less. I'm just going to read what I wrote so that I don't paraphrase. Coming to Jesus was nothing less than supernatural. The Holy Spirit drew you in, all right? And, and we're all aware, right, who, who can testify that the Holy Spirit drew you in. And even if you, you, you went away for a time, but you came back, you can be aware. It might have been, you know, for me it was some months where he just started drawing me into a deeper level. And he'll actually do that again and again and again. It's the same process over and over, from salvation to finish. He draws us in. Amen? But the Bible says that he draws us to himself. So the Holy Spirit drew us in, and that was a supernatural thing. And we know that the word is clear. He won't stop fighting for us. He won't stop teaching us. He is pleading between you and God for your soul. And this is a supernatural thing. As I move forward in today's teaching, I must express with boldness that it's only by the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can access God and do anything for him. So this is not a works thing. I'm not talking about works, and I'm not talking about trying to make yourself righteous before God or be busy with your life. You know, i gotta, I got to do and be busy. Matthew 25 is telling me i got to like, get stuff done before he comes. You have to know that it's only by the blood of Jesus that we've been cleansed and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we have access to God and that we can do anything for him. So when it's you, it's not you, But it's your choice. But he supernaturally compelled you to make the choice. And he will supernaturally help you to finish and walk out the choice we made to follow Jesus. Wow, try to figure that disclosure out. It's you, but it's not you, but it's you. But it's not you. How does the Holy Spirit do this supernaturally? It's not that the Bible changes you because you are good at following directions, it's that the revelation of the Word made into a man, Jesus. He came and found you, and that revelation was penned down in prophecy and preparation, his life here on the earth and his words on the earth, and finally, then the word is how to respond to him and his words. Who thinks it would be a good idea, then, to listen to his way of coming to him, his way of following him? Who thinks it's a good idea to take theology sometimes, which is not a bad thing in itself, and put it to the side, And look to the scriptures and say, God, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it really mean when I said, you can have my life and I'm committed to you? What does that mean? Not what a preacher told you. I mean, I'm a preacher, so, I mean, I'm not saying preachers are bad, theology is bad. But what does the word say? When we accepted Jesus and his love and his grace into our lives, we received the Jesus of the gospels and really what happened is we entered into discipleship training i want you to say that out loud discipleship training when you got saved it was amazing and i'm going to say it again so no one can say he didn't say it it was an incredible moment in your life you can even say it was the most incredible moment in your life But when you got saved, you entered discipleship training. That's what happened. Simply put, Jesus was called rabbi because he was the teacher. That's what the word rabbi means. Teacher. What does a teacher do? Does a teacher just be like, hey, you know, you can listen to some of my things, whatever you like. You know, we take a test. If you get a zero, that's fine. You get a 50, that's fine. Who's a teacher? A teacher's there to instruct us, but what's the point? Are they just instructing us for knowledge? They want you to grow. Ultimately, he's a good teacher, right? They called him good teacher because he was a teacher and a disciple. Okay, so he's the teacher, he's the rabbi. We're the disciples who listen to the teacher. Everybody say we listen to the teacher and we grow towards becoming like our teacher. So, the question has to be asked Can you be saved and not be a disciple? That's a very serious question, which I'm not going to answer right now. I'm instead going to phrase a second question for you. All right, this is the better question. Let's phrase to God what it means by saying, I want to be saved and not be a disciple. And then you can make your own decision if you can be saved and not be a disciple. All right, okay, God, we're just going to just do a mock prayer. I want salvation. I want your blood to cover my sins, and I want to go to heaven, that's for sure. I don't want to go to hell. But um, I have no interest in listening to you or learning from you right now. Let me live my life, and I'll see you in heaven. Amen. How does that sound to you? Does it sound like as hard for it was for me to say it? That's like playing the devil in a play, like, you know, someone's got to do it. Right, If it was like a Christian place, someone's got to do that job, but I don't want that job. Even just saying those words there, that mock prayer, that was hard for me to do, but I think it needed to be done to tell, show us how serious it is when we said, I want to be saved. To say to the Lord, I want to be saved, but I won't, don't want to be your disciple is really, really weird. It's really, really scary, in fact, when you just say it for exactly what it is. When we phrase it honestly, it's horrifying to think of saying to our humble Savior who went to the cross for us, that I don't want to follow you. Just a few more scriptures and I'll wrap this up for today. The Bible says in James chapter 1, James 1 verse 21, it says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. James is talking to Christians. Everybody say James is talking to Christians. So that means there was, there's something that happens after salvation. Everybody say there's something that happens after salvation. It says, get rid of the filth and evil in your lives. Wait a second, I thought he cleansed me of it. Yes, he did. In the sight of God, you've been cleansed. But who experienced this, right? Right? Many of you guys, I've heard the stories. You're still at the bar, you're still smoking pot, and, but you're testifying about Jesus with a joint in your, mouth, in your hand. Because something supernatural still happened, but your body in the earth is still catching up with what happened in your spirit. But who today thinks it's okay to come in and just sit in the church and smoke a joint while you're listening to the gospel? Does that feel right any longer? Does that mean that God didn't love you or was judging you that day? Of course not. Just like I don't judge a baby for being a baby. But then as we grow, now I judge them differently. I'm going to treat you differently. Amen? So he says, get rid of the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word. And we know they're Christians. Why do we know they're Christians? Because what's it say? Does God plant the word in the, in the, in the world? It says, humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. Has God planted his word in the hearts of the world? I mean, the Holy Spirit's trying, but it only gets planted. The Bible tells me clearly, we don't have time for that theology, but I have to take the seed, and I've got to put it in good soil. So the Bible says, once I've received him, and once I've planted him in my hearts, to get rid of the filth and evil, there's something that's happened. It says, for it has the power to save your soul. And that's another teaching we don't have time for. We'll look at that some other time. But verse 22 but don't just listen to God's words. This is what happens. We've turned the church, and honestly, YouTube does more damage than good. Ugh, I just struck a chord. Ugh. I don't want to say it just as much as you don't want to hear me say it. But YouTube is not being a Christian. Oh, that's fine. I love supplemental. I love YouTube at the same time. But some Christians are like, I don't need to go to church. I've got YouTube. I don't need to pray. I'll just listen to them pray. <laughs> it's funny because we've all done it. Not intentionally. you are like, I'll just spend time with you. But I'm not going to spend time on your word. I'll just listen to someone talking about your word. What's the difference? Ugh. Struck a really sensitive chord there, Dawn. Don't just listen to what they say over and over, and all we do is just hear it and 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 and blah, 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 that's what it becomes. Now now before you know it, you're cooking dinner, and you're working in your workshop, Adam, and you're listening to someone talk about God's word, but you're like, because you know all the scriptures, so you're listening to half of it, but you're really just doing what you're doing with your hands, and you think you're spending time with God, but you're not. Don't just listen to God's word, but you must do what it says, Christians. Otherwise, wow, we've talked about a theme here. We talked about the fools and the wise. This is the third time now to close this sermon. The foolish person listens and doesn't do what it says. So this is what's so strange. I try not to define salvation for you because I honestly, I don't understand it. I know it begins with a prayer, and I know it'd be like a declaration. Something in my heart changes, and I've declared it, and then there's grace, and then one day I'm going to be seeing Christ in heaven, but from that sparking point to heaven, we really don't understand, and some people think it was the prayer that you got saved. Some people think it's the good works that proves that you're saved and some people are in between. And in, and what I try to preach in this church is let's not try to define where salvation began and what's going on in grace and it ends. Let's do what Paul said. I haven't achieved it yet. I haven't finished yet, but my eyes are set on the prize. It's set on the finish line. Like Peter, when he looked down, he sank. I'll keep my eyes on Christ and I'll walk this life out. Amen. So my word says, instead of trying to figure it out, do I need to be good? Does it matter? Do I, you know, like, is this just what's best for my life? Can I be a Christian that doesn't live his best life now? Can I be a Christian who lives like a poor life now, but still a Christian? Instead of asking those really stupid questions... Let's ask the right question. God, what does your word say? And your word says, I must listen and then do what I heard. Otherwise, I'm fooling myself. Whether I go to heaven or not and have less stuff there, that's the wrong question. Literally, we've turned Christianity into, it's like, well, you're going you're to still go to heaven, you're just going to have less gifts, less reward. That's, oh, we must be off. If that's our, that's it. Like my kids, I still love you. God's still gonna love us, but imagine I was like, "Listen, you, you treat me right, I'll give you more stuff. You're not good to me, you're not getting my stuff. Still love you. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at a face in your mirror, and, your face in a mirror, and you forget who you are." It says, verse 24, you see yourself. And walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully, everybody say carefully. There's that word again. So the Bible, not theology, the Bible tells me to look carefully into his law. It says to look into the perfect law. It's not law. Listen, I don't have to bring two partridges and a pear tree because it's Passover today. All right, so we have been freed from a law. But then my Bible tells me to look into the perfect law. That's of Christ. That's the law. He's the fulfillment. I'm looking into him, and that's a whole another. that's a deep thing to talk about. But we know what that means as mature Christians, and it, and it says that it sets me free. And if I do what it says, and don't forget, everybody say, and I don't forget. Who loves the word? You know what happens? I think a lot of times when churches are off and Christians are off, it literally comes down to the fact they don't read the Bible. I mean, it's that simple. Some people are like, I'm dumb. It's like, you're not dumb, you just don't care, right? People in school didn't apply themselves. This is gonna sound so racist, it's not. But Asians do really, really well at school and everybody thinks it's genetics, it's not. It's because their parents make their kids, that's their top priority. Okay, and I see heads nodding that some of you have experienced that. They don't let you get away with watching TV, not until, Now I'm not talking about your homework is done. I'm talking June extra credit done in September, all right? So sometimes people are like, well, I just don't understand. I'm dumb. No, you're lazy and you don't care. But the Bible says that if we will look into it, if we will take the time to look to his word, it's so clear, it's not confusing, it's right here, black and white, if I look into it, and it says that if I do what it says, not just believe in my heart and will be saved, but also, you have to take the whole word, yes, the Bible says to believe in your heart and you will be saved, but the Bible is a book that also has James in it, that also says i must not you can if you feel like it or you want more or less stuff but you must do what i said that's optional preacher i think i'd rather just live like a half-life here and just have a little bit less in heaven i'm gonna smoke a little bit of drugs on the weekend i'll have jesus on sunday do my work week i'll still go to heaven i'll just have less of a mansion who cares you, don't you see the de- devil's deception? Isn't that so clear that that's the enemy's deception, getting half of the half, or ni- even maybe 90% of Christianity to go to hell who thought they were Christians? How many verses do we have to read about knocking on doors and Jesus says, I don't know you, before we realize that there's a crowd that thought they knew him? They thought they believed, they thought they knew, and they obviously didn't. And we come up with all these theologies. Well, maybe they like just were like a TV Christian. They didn't attend a church. That's a... They never said a prayer, because then they would have to go to heaven. You realize how theology, the devil puts theologies in the way of actual real scriptures. We don't read the scripture because we don't understand it, because our theology is actually in the way. But if we just read the scripture and put the theology aside, the scripture is clear. It says, if you don't forget what you heard. Wow. Wow. So the Bible tells me not just something that I put into action once, but if I don't forget. Now, I bring my kids up a lot. I hate when pastors do that. I can't help it, though. Sorry. I hate when pastors bring their kids into every sermon. If he doesn't put out the garbage, you know, these two, the older ones, have to put out the garbage. If it's been like a month, but I told them last year, you've got to put out the garbage on Thursday nights. gets picked up on Friday morning. It's been a year. And they're like, well, I forgot. Does it change the fact it's not my responsibility to keep reminding you? I told you what I wanted from you. Just because you now, I'm going to give you grace. I love you. Not going to ground you every single time you don't bring out the garbage. But now, if you stop doing it week after week, do you start to see how God is actually so good to us? He's so kind to us. And when He deals with us, it's actually mercy and grace. He's being good to us and kind to us. Who believes that today? Anybody? Okay, I guess I do. Thank you, Lord. If you don't forget what you heard, I'm reading fast because I want to finish this, then God will bless you for doing it. And I did not get through all the scriptures, but that's okay. This is where the Lord's got us. Verse 26, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. So it's not my opinion. Oh, pastor, you shouldn't judge that guy like that. Oh, pastor, that's not your place to judge that celebrity. You have no place to judge him for saying the F word. Okay, fine. I won't judge him. I'll let James judge him. What's the book of James say? If you don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Maybe it was a slip up. Fine. Then that's, his, then that's grace. I don't think it was a good slip up because it's on YouTube. Probably not a good place that was a slip up that people are going to see forever and ever now. And that's a great, what a great image of a, just a, a real wholesome Christian who's a celebrity. Pure and and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father means, oh, wow, Dawn, here's our scripture, caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You start to read the word. There's a lot more about doing than there is about believing. You can't do unless you believe. Everybody say, I can't do unless I believe. So I'm not discounting belief. I have to believe that I'm a man to be a man. Apparently not anymore, but I thought so. So I'm not getting rid of belief. It's the foundation. But as you really read your word, we get past Christ, get past the cross, get past the Holy Spirit. It's a lot about doing, and it's not to put works on you. I'm just telling you what the Lord is asking of us, and I just want to just thank you, God, for this uh, word that you planted in our hearts. I thank you, God, that you have freed us from our bondage. Holy Spirit, you never, ever give up on us. Holy Spirit, you never leave our side. I thank you that you are constantly wooing us closer and closer and closer to the Lord and causing us to get the junk out of us because it's going to hurt us. I just thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace and your mercy that covers this whole church. Every single person in here is walking in your grace, and it's causing us, Lord, to come closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.